I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We start with searching for a record. Stocks coming off a five-week win streak with the Dow strike and striking distance of an all-time high. Futures, however, they are under some pressure. And risk, it may be hot, but safe havens appear to be even hotter as the price of gold surges to 2100 for the first time ever. We're going to take a look at the price action in just a moment. And a merger Monday may have D.C. regulators on alert as Alaska Air looks to buy Hawaiian and put an end to that stock's 2023 freefall. Plus, rising tensions in the Middle East as key regional shipping lanes continue to come under attack. And then later in the show, COP28 takes aim at methane emissions with new targets set for 2023. We are in Dubai with a live report. It's Monday, December the 4th, 2023. And you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we kick off the hours to check on U.S. stock futures. Take a look. Under a bit of pressure right now, the Nasdaq, the hardest hit, down about a third of a percent. Stocks coming off another winning session with the Dow, the Nasdaq, and the S&P 500, all of them riding five-week win streaks. Ahead of the open, the Dow is sitting at its highest level since December of 2022 and less than 2% from an all-time high. And it's not just stocks. We're also watching the price of gold. Take a look at the action here. Briefly topping a new record north of $2,100 an ounce. Right now, pulling back just very slightly. You see it, $2,089 an ounce, down very fractionally, just 0.01 of a percent. But you can see right here, up for the year, up over 14%. We're also looking at another uh, interesting move here. Bitcoin popping, surging past $40,000 for the first time since May of 2022. Right now, you can see Bitcoin's up 5%, trading at about 41,600 right now. You can see year-to-date up over 150%. Coming up, we're going to check out the stocks that are skyrocketing higher on the heels of this move. And, of course, we have to check the bond market as we do every morning, looking at yields on the benchmark right now at 4.24. We've seen them kind of decline from where we saw them last week, down about five basis points. We're also looking at the energy market. We'll talk commodities a little bit later in the show. Right now, when it comes to oil, oil under a bit of pressure right now. Uh, WTI, the U.S. benchmark, down over a half a percent. Same story for Brent crude, um, down right now, trading at about 78.40 a barrel. Okay, that's your morning money setup. Now, let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Bertha Coombs is here with us on this Monday morning. Bertha, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Alaska Air Group says it's agreed to buy uh, rival Hawaiian Airlines for $1.9 billion or $18 a share, and it will take on its $90 million in debt. Shares of Hawaiian closed Friday at just under $5 a share and are down more than 50% this year with a market cap below $300 million. The deal also sets up another potential battle with regulators who are currently suing to block JetBlue's proposed deal for Spirit Airlines. The CEO of Alaska and Hawaiian will be joining CNBC later this morning to discuss the tie-up. Watching shares of Uber, Jabil, and Builders first source ahead of the open, S&P Dow Jones announcing the three companies will be joining the S&P 500 index in a little over two weeks, replacing Sealed Air, Alaska Air, and Solar Edge. 
And Google is reportedly postponing the launch of public AI system Gemini. According to the information, CEO Sundar Pichai is pushing back the timeline because Gemini has proven unreliable with questions not posed in English. The public launch is now reportedly set for sometime next month. So much going on with AI these days, Frank. I don't know if you saw that article in the New York Times about how people are really grappling with the potential of this. Yeah, I think we're all trying to figure out how AI is going to fit in our world going forward. Uh, Shares of Google under a bit of pressure right now, down about a half a percent. Bertha, always great to see you. We'll see you later in the show. All right, we're going to turn our attention back to the broader markets. And it's the season to be jolly. Investors are enjoying some early holiday gifts with the major averages on a five-week win streak since hitting a low on October the 27th. The S&P 500, it's rallied more than 450 points. It's also approaching its highs for the year just above 4,600, as most market watchers believe the Fed is done hiking rates. Those moves higher have come as the VIX has dropped to a new low for the year. In fact, the index at its lowest level since January of last year. Let's get more perspective now from Marianne Bartels, Chief Investment Strategist at Sanctuary Wealth. She's on the CNBC Newsline. Marianne, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Thank you for having me. All right. So we're seeing a lot of uh, signs of strength in the market. What's your current view of the market and how much of it depends on the on the idea that the Fed is done hiking rates? Well, I think the idea of the Fed being done has really driven uh, the 10-year yields down, helping to drive uh, equity prices higher. Um, And we're calling 2024 the year of the bucking bull. We think both bonds and equities will be in a bull market next year. But in the very near term, equity prices are extremely overbought and yields are extremely oversold. So for the next couple of weeks, if we see a backup in rates and a little bit of a pullback in the equities, that would be normal. But I still think going into year end, you'll continue to have a rally that carries over into early next year. All right. So you're saying there's a rally that carries over into next year. You actually gave us your S&P forecast for 2024. You say 5,200 to 5,400, as much as a 17 percent upside from what we're seeing right now. Are there other catalysts besides the fact that the Fed's done uh, hiking rates and yields are lower? Is there something else that continues to push the market in your mind? Absolutely. At the end of the day, Frank, it's really all about earnings. And we think earnings have actually dropped and can improve. And you were just talking about AI. I think it's going to be challenging to figure out how do we estimate the productivity enhancements that are going to go into earnings. But we do think that companies will get productivity enhancements. We're seeing unit labor costs come down. And we think earnings are going to be good for next year. And we think there's a solid base for equities to rally. All right. Talk me through this one. So you say earnings are going to be better, but is it a rising tide that lifts all boats? Are there certain parts of the market? Is it tech earnings that push the the market higher? Is it a broadening of the market that pushes everything higher? Well, if we look at the Magnificent Seven, they certainly have been supporting uh, the earnings. We think that you'll get a broadening out. Um, pockets like small cap, we think, can rally um, even the banks, which are very oversold. But we want to rent them, not own them. We don't think there's leadership. So we think for a period of time, you'll, you'll get a broadening out. But I do believe that it's really technology that's still leading this market higher. All right. Important to know we're showing the audience right now, the Magnificent Seven up over 97 percent year to date. Um, You're also bullish on something that some people call a risk asset, Bitcoin. So give us a sense. Uh, We just (laughs) talked about (laughs) you're laughing. 
We just talked about it hitting a, a high for, I think, the last year and a half or so right now. It's trading at just under 42,000, briefly peaked 42,000. Um, are you bullish on Bitcoin? Are you bullish on cryptocurrency overall? And what about the stocks that are tied to cryptocurrency? So we are bullish Bitcoin. Now, there's really no way to value Bitcoin. So we're really using technical analysis here. And we have had a significant breakout. We do think that Bitcoin will test its all-time high. And if there are ETFs that eventually get launched, which it appears will happen, we think Bitcoin can actually make an all-time new high. And we do view Bitcoin as a store of value or something that you want to consider like Internet cash. When we look at Ethereum, Ethereum is a technology, and most of the other cryptocurrencies are technologies. So there's still a lot of risk in those. Um, but we believe with the SEC having had approved a future on Bitcoin, that Bitcoin now is a real asset. Um, again, it's going to be an extremely volatile asset. Okay. It can go up or down 80% at any time. We're also seeing some upward movement for the stocks that are tied to Bitcoin, names like Marathon and Riot. Are you bullish on those as well? I really don't have an opinion on those. But if people believe that Bitcoin is going higher, they're going to drive probably those stock prices higher. Yeah, we're seeing it right now. Uh, Coinbase up 8%, Riot up double digits, similar story for Marathon. Marion Bartels, great to talk to you on the CNBC Newsline. You say next year is the year of the bucking bull. We'll have to wait and see. Thanks again. Thank you. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, we're live in Dubai, where dozens of oil and gas companies have pledged to reduce emissions of a key greenhouse gas. Our Diana Olick is standing by. Plus, oil under pressure as key shipping lanes in the Middle East come under attack. We weigh the key investor risk with RBC's Halima Kral. And later, tech powering stocks higher in 2023. We chat with Wedbush's Dan Oz, the stocks that he thinks will power the sector even higher in the weeks and the months ahead. There will be very busy hours still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. U.S. futures under a bit of pressure right now. The Dow looks like it would open up just about 50 points lower. Let's now see how Europe is shaping up. As its trading day gets underway, our Juliana Tattlebaum, live in our London newsroom with much, much more on the early action. Good morning, Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, here in Europe, it seems like investors are searching for direction after a decidedly positive week last week for European equities. The main benchmark, the stock 600, put in about 1.4% worth of gains last week. But as you can see beside me, it's more of a mixed picture to start out the fresh trading week. You've got the Spanish market up 17 basis points, the Swiss market out in front up 0.5%. Within that market, we've got all eyes on Roche, the pharmaceuticals giant. Big news this morning, they are entering the obesity drug. Drugs market, uh, of course, it's been a huge, uh, a huge focal point for the whole healthcare sector. And now Roche is acquiring a 2.7 billion dollar company, Carmo Therapeutics, to enter this market. So that's catching uh, a lot of attention this morning. And the shares are trading higher, more than two percent, providing a boost to the overall Swiss market. On the downside, you've got FTSE 100 trading four tenths of a percent lower. Uh, a lot of that underperformance has come down to basic resources and oil and gas. So on that note, let's take a look at the sector breakdown in Europe to get a little bit of a flavor of how things stand. Basic resources down 1.7% and oil and gas down 1.7% as well. So the two clear underperformers this morning. Travel and leisure also uh, trading to the downside, telcos, insurance and construction. On the upside, we are seeing a little bit more uh, appetite for the retail sector, that up 0.6%, real estate, media and healthcare. 
Frank, with that, we'll hand it back over to you. All right, Juliana, thank you very much. Our Juliana Tattlebaum, live in our London newsroom. The United Nations Climate Summit COP28 continues in Dubai this week, and we have some breaking news this morning on a landmark agreement by some of the world's largest oil companies. Our senior climate correspondent, Diana Olick, is on the ground in Dubai with the very latest. Diana? Yeah, Frank, 50 oil and gas firms, including ExxonMobil and Saudi Aramco, representing about 40 percent of global oil output, pledged to cut methane emissions to nearly zero by 2030 and to eliminate all operational greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. Now, the inclusion of 29 national oil companies it is what makes this both new and notable. There's already criticism, though, that a pledge is one thing, but how do you enforce it? I asked former BP CEO Bob Dudley, who was instrumental in the negotiations. There's new satellite technologies out there that can monitor methane emissions from the, that level, aircraft, uh, drones, s ground sensors, and the, the companies will have to be accountable for providing the data from that. It's going to be very hard to hide because if you look at satellites, for example, there will be nowhere to hide. The news comes as both energy and equally important finance take center stage at the COP this week. I spoke with Citi's head of corporate banking about the billions of dollars in pledges we've seen from governments in these first days of the COP. We're encouraged to see uh, commitments from governments, from developmental financial institutions, multilaterals, et cetera. Those are important. Um, but uh, where I think the real change is going to come from is, is sort of private sector innovation, the, the need to mobilize lots of capital to help, uh, to help companies and, and, and sovereign uh, entities uh, develop new sources of, of, of energy in particular. Um, those, the amounts required there are, are staggering, and so we've got to start somewhere. And I think it's important that we, 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 we marry the, the efforts of public sector initiatives and private sector innovation. That's really what we're, we're super interested in. And he says that's just an enormous opportunity for City and its clients. So he and others like him are at the COP to find out how those clients are planning to play in the energy transition and how they will look to banks and capital markets to help them finance that. Frank. So obviously, uh, Diana, some big news on that emissions deal. But there's also been a little bit of controversy. There's been some criticism that the COP's being held in a major oil-producing nation and that the COP president is the CEO of the state oil company, um, have there been any other developments related to that perceived conflict? Yeah, not just a little, a lot, Frank. Sultan Al-Jaber, the CEO of Adnoc and head of the Cup, had a heated argument in a live online event over the weekend where he said there is, quote, no science indicating that a phase-out of fossil fuels is needed to restrict global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. He also said a phase-out of fossil fuels would not allow sustainable development, quote, unless you want to take the world back into caves. And guess how well that was received here, Frank? Wow. Uh, so it's very heated there, Diana. Sounds like you're getting some fireworks there. In addition to that big deal on emissions, Diana Olick, we will see you all week here on Worldwide Exchange. Thanks for that great report. All right. Speaking of, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have a closer look at the trillion-dollar telecom industry and one major player who's seen its shares bounce back in a very big way over the past four weeks. Worldwide Exchange, we are back right after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Rising geopolitical tensions, high-profile cyber attacks, and the generative AI boom, all partly fueling growth in the global telecom industry, which IDC forecasts to reach $1.5 trillion this year. 
One primary player in that space is Calyx, whose competitors include Cisco, Nokia, and Huawei, as well as telecom equipment maker Alcatel-Lucent. Shares are doubling the S&P 500's gain in the last month, following an upgrade from Roth with the headline, Don't Think Too Hard, Just Buy. Analysts say Calyx, which provides cloud software systems uh, and services, will be a long-term beneficiary of government spending on infrastructure and broadband. Joining me now in a CNBC exclusive is Calix CEO, Michael Weenie. Michael, good morning. Thank you for being here. Morning, Frank. Thanks for having me on. All right. So we just cited the rally in your shares. Give us a sense. What percentage of your revenue is tied to government spending? And then how do you uh, grow your business outside of government spending? About 20% of the revenue will be affiliated with spurring our customers to make investments from an infrastructure point of view. And then outside of that, what we do is we, we partner with our customers to do two things. Simplify their business, which is drive operational efficiency that yields high margins, and then excite their subscribers, which is the launch of new services that allows them to differentiate in their markets and drive long-term revenue growth. All right. So you've actually been an AI player for over a year. You launched your own AI chatbot for your customers last year in October. Give us a sense. How are you using AI in your business now? We've been using AI for over five years, and the power of AI for us is actually leveraging the big partners who have built incredible AI engines. And what we do is we use that within our cloud to analyze over 50 terabytes of data that we bring in weekly to understand the experiences that our customers' customers are having so that they can improve it. So, for example, if you're having a problem, the AI engine can identify it, and then the call center can do an outbound call to you and say, Frank, you're having a problem with your broadband service. There's something wrong with your wire. Wi-Fi or an application that you're running, let us fix that. How is AI uh, impacting your your future business as well? I mean, obviously, a lot of your customers play either directly or tangentially in the AI space. Well, I think there's two ways. Calyx is a company. AI is core to actually how we run the company. In fact, we just launched Microsoft Copilot. We're really excited about it to allow our employees to be more successful. And then over the long term with our customers, again, looking at the 50 terabytes of data that we're constantly bringing in on a weekly basis, we will then build out new algorithms to help them be more efficient and to identify uh, incremental opportunities to drive great experiences with their customers. And a good example of you know the impact of these would be uh, Tom Bigby, a small rural provider in Tupelo, Mississippi, who has an NPS of 91. And when you compare that to an Apple at 58, it gives a good indication of what's possible when you have engines like this guiding small companies to succeed okay. at a very high level. All right. So you're talking about one of your smaller customers. One of your bigger customers is Verizon. We want to make sure we yes. mention that. Also, I want to talk about you on social media, on LinkedIn, other places. You've been a very loud voice when it comes to the impact of higher rates. And you've basically just been saying the end of free money is changing the dynamics of a lot of businesses. Yes. I'd imagine it changes the dynamics of your businesses. As I said, Verizon's one of your customers, a big CapEx company. So how are these higher rates impacting your business? How is it impacting your growth going forward? For the customers who have leveraged our platform, again, software, cloud, and systems, um, it actually doesn't have an impact. And if anything, what it does is a Darwinian effect of they're more successful. Therefore, when the interest rates come up, you see these underperforming companies who have had free money for a very long time fall away. So our customers get stronger and stronger. And then for those who are not our customers, they start to realize that if they don't change their business model aggressively to drive very high cash flow, profitability, all these different component parts of a good, strong, fundamental business, they're going to fail. So it brings them to, to us. In fact, over the last couple of weeks, myself, I've talked to three CEOs. 
Michael Winning, CEO of Calix, one of the few people saying higher rates is a tailwind for their business. Great to see you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for your time, Frank. All right, let's get a check on more of this morning's headlines. NBC's Philip Mena in New York with the very latest. Happy Monday, Phil. Good to see you. Happy Monday to you, Frank. Good morning. At least 11 mountain climbers are dead after a volcano erupted in Indonesia. Twelve more people are still missing, but the search was put on hold over safety concerns. The Merapi Mountain eruption sent ash nearly 10,000 feet into the air, coating nearby villages in a cloud of gray and white. And officials say it was so bad in some parts it actually blocked out the sun. Back in the U.S., an update on one of the Palestinian-American students shot in Vermont over Thanksgiving weekend. Hissam Awartani's family says he is paralyzed from the chest down. The Brown University junior was shot while walking down the street with his friends. His parents live in the West Bank and had thought it would be safer for him to remain in the U.S. over the Thanksgiving break and visit his grandmother rather than flying into a war zone. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, the House could vote as soon as this week on formally authorizing an impeachment inquiry into President Biden as Republicans probe into the business dealings of the president's family members. House Speaker Mike Johnson says he believes he has the votes for it to pass. Overnight, the White House called this effort a baseless attempt to smear the president with lies. That's it from here, Frank. Back to you. All right, Philip, thank you very much. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, why shares of Virgin Galactic are falling back to Earth this morning. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, you can check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And we will be right back after this break. It's just about 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Stocks kicking off a new week under some pressure with the major indices riding a five-week win streak, but it's not just equities on a red-hot run. We are also watching Bitcoin bouncing back in a very big way and hitting highs not seen since 2022. The stock's on the winning side of that trade in just one moment. Plus, rising Middle East tensions and the weekend attacks in the Red Sea, putting global commodity traders on alert. We're going to speak with RBC's Halima Croft on what's at stake in just a moment. It's Monday, December the 4th, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. As always, we're going to pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures with the major indices riding a five-week win streak. But take a look right now. You can see right across the board, futures under a bit of pressure. Looks like the Dow would open up about 40 points lower right now. But as always... We say it's early. We're also looking at the bond market right now. Take a look at uh, the benchmark tenure. Those yields falling from the levels that we saw last week right now with 4.24. And we're also checking precious metals this morning. Gold briefly topping $2,100 an ounce this morning. Demand for the assets surging since the start of the Israel-Hamas war, boosting demand for safe havens and expectations of more Fed rate cuts. You can see right now gold trading just under 2100 at 2086 down very fractionally but again hitting that 2100 level and we also want to talk about bitcoin this morning rocketing higher and surging past $40,000 for the first time since May of 2022 adding to its already impressive year to date gain you can see right now up over 150% year to date a number of names directly tied to the digi- the digital asset also riding high we're looking at Coinbase, Riot Platforms, and Marathon Digital, all up huge this year. You can see 300% gains for all those names. These names all up just around 10% this morning as well. All right, right now we're going to want to get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Bertha Coombs is back with those. Bertha, good morning again. 
Hey, good morning, Frank. Spotify says it is cutting staff by 17 percent as it continues to face growing, slowing growth, rather, and ad sales struggles. CEO and founder Daniel X says the company, uh, quote, still has too many people dedicated to supporting work and even doing work around the work rather than contributing to opportunities with real impact whatever that means. Anyway, he's set to address the cuts at a company-wide meeting on Wednesday. Richard Branson, meantime, says he's not going to put any more money into Virgin Galactic. In an interview with the Financial Times, Branson, whose Virgin Group holds a 7.7% stake in Galactic, says he does not have the deepest pockets anymore after COVID, adding Virgin Galactic should have sufficient funds to do its job on its own. Shares of Virgin falling there, as you can see. And new details into what could be some conflict of interest in the C-suite at OpenAI. According to Wired, the generative AI startup signed a letter of intent back in 2019 to spend $51 million on chips from Rain AI, which is another startup that Sam Altman has interest in personally, to the tune of more than a million dollars. Rain is set to deliver its first hardware to customers as early as October of next year. So many little bits to this story coming out, Frank. Well, we're going to follow every tick of it, Bertha. You know that. Great to see you. Thank you for those headlines. All right, we're going to turn our attention back to the broader markets and one area that continues to show signs of strength. Of course, it's tech. The Nasdaq coming off its fifth positive week in a row, its longest winning streak since June. Tech's winning year marking a very big shift from 2022. But as we head into 2024, can this trend continue Joining me now with his outlook is Dan Ives, Equity Research Managing Director at Wedbush. Dan, it's great to have you here. Great to be here. All right, so out with a new note, looking ahead to 2024. Give us a sense. Where does spending when it comes to tech and specifically AI, where does it go next year after this boom in 2023? I think it accelerates because what we're really now seeing is a trillion dollars of spend is hitting the shores of tech. It's not just NVIDIA and Microsoft. So I, when I look at software chips across the board, I believe it's the start of a new tech bull market. And we believe next year tech stocks are up at least 20% plus. It's AI, it's cybersecurity, it's software. And I think this is just a start. So Dan, in all fairness, we've heard you say this a number of times. Um, you've continued to be very bullish on tech from the start of this year, and you've been right. Um, but aren't there some headwinds going into next year? I mean, possibility of recession, um, other things. I mean, are there any things that you think could slow down this run? I, in my opinion, no. And, and look, I think that's where the bear has been misguided this year, is that continuing to kind of focus on the 10-year Fed recession. Unless there's a telescope, it's hard to find that recession. I look at what I believe from all the work that we do. It's the biggest tech transformation in 30 years. Really? Okay. In terms of AI. And this is, to me, it's a 1995 moment. And the difference now with this new note, going into next year, I don't believe it stops. I think tech stocks, this continues, but I think it's going to be broader. It's not just going to be big tech. It's going to be software, chips, small, mid-cap. Mm. And in my opinion, a lot of the bears, they could just go back into hibernation mode. Any concerns about this possibly being a bubble? I mean, we've seen a lot of talk about AI. Almost everybody's an AI company right now, but the actual use cases have been generally somewhat limited. Yeah, I think that's probably that's one of the biggest maybe debates. 
For all the work that we do around the world in AI, we have over 80 use cases for AI. Three months ago, it was 15. And I think the difference is that, look, for someone like myself, covered tech since the late 90s, I've seen a lot of bubbles. This is as real of a trending that we've seen going back to what I viewed 30 years. And that's why you look at names like Palantir, MongoDB, Snowflake, you know, and of course, in the trophy case in Redmond. All right, so you're leading me into your note. You gave us some picks. Um, some of those picks include Palo Alto, Palantir, Zscaler, MongoDB, in addition to Apple, Microsoft, and Google. I want to dig in on um, one of the cybersecurity names here, Palo Alto Networks. Um, why do you see that company being a big beneficiary where so many companies are getting into security, kind of stepping on their toes? Yeah, I think if you look at Natasha and what they've done at Palo Alto, it's the install base, and now they're moving to the cloud. I think we're only in the second, third inning of that growth story playing out. And if you look at Palo Alto, I think this is really one where the monetization, they're probably only 10% through. So when I look out, you have names like Zscale or CrowdStrike, but I continue to view as a double table pounder as Palo Alto. It's been our top pick in cybersecurity, and I think any time people go against it, they continue to prove the naysayers wrong. The other name I want to ask you about is Palantir. Um, Palantir is very closely tied to government work and also working with militaries, the U.S. military. They've also been very open that they support Israel mm -hmm. and the Israeli military. Do you believe that the tailwind for them, is, is it strictly from AI commercial customers, or do you think it comes more from their government and military work? Yeah, it's a great, but that's why we view them as the messy of AI, because what they're doing now is that they take that government work that they've done around the world for, you know, for many years into the enterprise. In my view, they are probably the purest play AI name in the market. So now what's happening, we're talking about those use cases. Palantir, they're getting the call front and center in these names. And that's why I think the market continues to underestimate what's happening on the enterprise. I think this is just start. I view it as sort of the right. golden child of AI. The gold. Wow. That's, it was a great movie, too, with Eddie Murphy. Um, Dan Ives, thank you for being here. Thanks Your picks, me. Palo Alto, Palantir, Zscaler, MongoDB, in addition to Apple and Google. Got a, a new note out today. Thank you again. Great. All right, we're also now going to switch gears here a bit. We're going to turn our attention to a developing story and rising tensions across the Mideast region after a U.S. destroyer and three commercial ships operating in the Red Sea. They came under fire on Sunday, according to the Pentagon. Those attacks began right around 9.15 a.m. local time yesterday. Houthi rebels in Yemen that are backed by Iran claim they were targeting Israeli ships. The Houthi rebels launched a series of strikes against the cargo ships they sent a distress call to the nearby USS Kearney. The USS Kearney, caught in the crossfire, would take down three Houthi drones in the process. The events underscoring the potential for the nearly two-month-old Israel-Hamas conflict to widen into a broader war. Joining me now is Halima Croft, head of global commodity strategy at RBC, and of course, a CNBC contributor. Halima, good morning. Great to have you here for this story. Thank you so much, Frank. All right, so we said this had the potential of widening out to a broader conflict. Give us a sense. How real, how big is that potential? I mean, I think there's a lot of concern about the Red Sea. The Houthis, unlike Hezbollah, entered this war in earnest. They have been firing rockets at Israel, but also targeting tankers in the Red Sea. They've hijacked an Israeli vessel. And so the concern is the longer this war continues, the risk to commercial shipping will rise. And there is some sense in Washington that while Hezbollah is more tightly controlled by Iran operationally, the Houthis who get money and arms for Iran 
sometimes go their own way. So that is the danger in this war when you have so many Iranian proxy groups. Are they under a really strong command and control structure? So the Pentagon called this the most serious escalation in a series of attacks on ships in the region. The ships were flagged to the Bahamas and Panama, according to the Pentagon. Can you spell out where's the connection to Israel here? What was the, the motivation for these attacks? I mean, many tankers fly under different flags, like the fly under the Liberian flag. But the ownership structure of these vessels often traces back to Israel. And so that is the real risk on commercial shipping is that the Houthis have come out and said, we will be targeting Israeli vessels. Now, a number of vessels go through the Red Sea. And so the concern is, if this were to escalate, would you see insurance premiums rise? Now, the bigger story from a commercial shipping standpoint would obviously also be the Straits of Hormuz. 17 million barrels of oil flow through that narrow waterway every day. So we will be watching the security environment in that key shipping point as well. But certainly the Red Sea seems to be the center of the hostility when it comes to shipping. All right. So I think you really hit on one of the keys here, the investor impact and also the commodity impact. You mentioned a possible increase in insurance rates. How do you see this potentially impacting the commodity market as well? I can. Right now, I think investors are taking a pretty slow of this conflict. They've essentially de-risked it and focusing on other things like OPEC and U.S. supply growth. But if this were to continue, if, for example, a vessel were to be sunk, I do think then you would have a lot more attention from investors paid to the risk to commodities from this conflict. Again, they very much want to see a disruption before they start pricing one in. So, Halima, can you just button this up for us? Um, how serious is this situation? The, the U.S. has made it very clear that they are going to take um, actions in response. How serious is the situation? How big is the risk of this escalating and broadening um, in relation to the Israel-Hamas conflict? I, mean, I think it's a very serious situation. I'm sitting in Dubai at the moment. Vice President Harris was just here having meetings with regional leaders. She's headed to Israel today, I think. Again, when we think about the economic implications, you know, where could this catch markets? We do have the Houthis with significant capabilities to target shipping. If we were to see vessels actually being sunk, I do think then we would have a lot higher risk premium from this war. I think a lot of market participants have sort of, again, pushed this war to the sidelines. If a tanker is sunk, I think it becomes a whole different ballgame for investors. All right. Helene McCroft saying this is a serious risk right now of possible escalation. Really appreciate your time and always great having you here for stories like these, Helene. All right. Coming up Thank here on so Worldwide much, Exchange, we have another day, another lifeline for the embattled Chinese real estate giant Evergrande. But first, as we had to break, some of your top trending stories. Beyonce proving to be irreplaceable this weekend. The singer's Renaissance concert film dominating box office sales in its debut with an estimate $21 million domestically, marking the first time in two decades a film has brought in more than $20 million after Thanksgiving. Harvard preparing to say everything has changed next semester. Nearly 300 students enrolling in Harvard's new English class on Taylor Swift, which pairs her songs with other literary works each week. The class following in suit with other universities offering Taylor Swift courses, including NYU, Stanford, and UT Austin. Wow. And Gis is ready to rock and roll all night. The band unveiling avatars of themselves for virtual music performances, making them the first U.S. band to become digitally immortal. The avatars were created by George Lucas's special effect company and follow the close of Kiss's farewell tour this weekend. Worldwide Exchange. We're back in just a minute. 
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We're going to start with A.B. Bernstein taking a swipe at the recent rally in Bitcoin, saying that crypto means business this time out of the highly expected approval of the first Bitcoin ETF. Bernstein says to think of the Bitcoin ETF as the largest pipe ever built between traditional financial markets and crypto financial markets. The analysts expect 10 percent of Bitcoin in supply to be managed by ETFs equivalent to 300 billion in assets under management by 2028. Sticking with crypto, despite the rally, TD Cowan says you can count Coinbase out. Sticking with its sell rating and $39 price target, TD estimates Coin's November bounce will drive at most a, quote, incremental $122 million EBITDA boost to fourth quarter estimates. And Mizuhu is raising its price target and rating on General Motors following last week's big stock bounce, now with a buy and $42 price target. The firm says sentiment on GM is at a bottom, and now with the UAW strike in the rearview mirror, the catalysts for a move even higher are more evident than ever. Time now for your global briefing. We have a merger Monday in Switzerland. Roche striking a deal to buy California pharmaceutical firm Carmot Therapeutics for $2.7 billion with additional payments of up to $400 million if certain drug development milestones are reached. If the deal is finalized, Roche will have full access to Carmot's research and development portfolio of obesity and diabetes medication, including all clinical and pretrial assets. In Australia, shareholders reportedly rejecting an $11 billion deal for Origin Energy by Brookfield Asset Management. The Wall Street Journal says Brookfield, which received 69% of the votes compared to the 75% approval needed, says it will weigh its options, citing the strong level of Origin shareholder support. Shares of Origin, they're following. Uh, Following. And China granting embattled property developer Evergrande, a German of a court hearing into a liquidation petition, pushing it to late January of next year. The postponed hearing gives Evergrande more time to finalize its offshore debt restructuring plan as it grapples with more than $300 billion in liabilities. All right, coming up here in Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus why shares of Uber are riding high ahead of the open. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, Check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Wex after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your Wex wrap-up. We start with Alaska Air set to buy rival Hawaiian Airlines for $1.9 billion or $18 a share, along with $900 million in debt. Shares of Hawaiian closing just under $5 a share on Friday with a market cap below $300 million. You can see shares of Hawaiian uh, surging this morning. Alaska Air under a bit of pressure. Bitcoin prices popping, surging past 40,000 for the first time since May of 2022. Ether also rallying, moving above 2,200 for the first time in recent months. We're also looking at gold this morning, briefly topping $2,100 an ounce this morning. Demand for the assets surging since the start of the Israel-Hamas war, boosting demand for safe havens and expectations of more Fed rate cuts. We're also watching shares of Uber, Jabil, and Builder's First Source ahead of the open. These three companies will be joining the S&P 500 index in just over two weeks, replacing Sealed Air, Alaska Air, and Solar Edge. And Google reportedly postponing the launch of public AI system Gemini due to unreliability with questions not posed in English. The system now expected to roll out sometime next month. Shares of Alphabet under a bit of pressure this morning, down just about a half a percent. Here's what to watch in the week ahead. We get earnings from a few notable names with insight on the consumer. Toll Brothers, Campbell Soup, GameStop, and Lululemon on Wednesday. 
The heads of the nation's biggest banks will be in Washington to testify at an oversight hearing by the Senate Banking Committee. And the list includes the CEOs of Bank of America, Citi, Goldman, J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo. It's all topped off this week by the November jobs report that is out on Friday. The markets, they may be in line for it to take a bit of a breather today after the major averages extend their win streak to five straight weeks. The Dow now up more than 9% this year. The S&P up nearly 20%. The NASDAQ, the best performer, up more than 35%. Let's bring in Mimi Duff, Managing Director and Senior Client Advisor at GenTrust. Mimi, good morning. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me. So give us a sense. What do you make of this five-week rally and now seeing futures under a bit of pressure this morning? Yeah, I think it was really kicked off by a lot of optimism around um, improvements on the inflation side. If you think about it, earlier this year, inflation very high, um, supply demand really out of balance. And what we've seen is significant improvements on both the inflation front and also on the employment front. So we'll see this week if that continues. But I think that that was really the kickoff. And I think folks feel like the Fed's Last uh, hike is in for now, um, and uh, I think th- that drove a lot more money into the market that potentially could have been sidelined. Yeah, the, the thought that the Fed has done hiking also having a big impact on the bond market, which you're also looking at. You're saying next year we could see a bull market for bonds. Right now we're just looking at the 10-year 4.24 or so uh, earlier when we were just checking it. Give us a sense. How does that impact the market for the rest of this year? Yeah. So, I mean, we think that longs in in the bond market or overweights in the bond market perform better over a wider range of scenarios. To your point, if we do fall into uh, some weakness or a mild recession, those bonds should do well. Uh, On the other side, if the Fed does have to pick up hiking again, you can sort of earn your way out. On the equity side, we like certain sectors that have uh, been performing better in a rate-stable type environment, like um, like infrastructure, the small and mid-caps that had really been beaten up, they've been performing better uh, in this recent rally, and they've really made up a, a small bit of some of the underperformance they had seen earlier in the year. All right. I want to look ahead to today specifically, Mimi. What is your WEX word of the day? How do you see today playing out? I picked the word momentum because I just feel like there is so much momentum right now. There's a lot of optimism. And over the next week, we really need to see if this uh, if the employment picture holds up to the rest of this theory that that we're really just coming into balance. So the other thing you're looking at right now is the Magnificent Seven. Um, Huge rally this year, of course. Uh, A lot of talk about valuation. A lot of investors are going to be looking to put some money to work at the end of the year. Um, Give us a sense right now. When you look at the Magnificent Seven, would you continue to put money in there right now? Are you worried about the valuations? Uh, On the margin, we're more worried about those valuations. Let me just point out, a few weeks ago, we were talking about the S&P up 15% and the equal weighted S&P flat on the year. And now that equal weighted is up, I don't know, six, seven, eight percent. So this most recent rally has been a broader rally. And so we would not focus solely on those Magnificent Seven where the valuations are really much more stretched. Okay, so if not the Magnificent Seven, is there someplace else in this last month of the year? A lot of people calling for that Santa Claus rally, a lot of people looking to take advantage of it. Where do you put money to work? 
Yeah, I think you go with a diversified basket. That's that's basically what we've had. Uh, so you make sure that you have some of everything, global equities, some small and mid cap. Like I said, those have been beaten up. And don't forget the bonds either. I think it's hard to forget the bonds with the yields at the level they are right now. Mimi Duff says, you know, you want to diversify a portfolio right now. It is great to see you. Thank you, as always. Thank you. Taking a quick look at futures before we let you go right now. Uh, markets under a bit of pressure right now. Looks like the Dow would open up just about 50 points lower. The Nasdaq, the hardest hit down nearly a half a percent. Um, we're going to continue to watch this all day long here on CNBC. Thank you for watching. We've got Squawk Box coming up next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern.